how how it come in. We did. Now I'm going to start with something with an unplanned apology to all of the production team because I've made a lot of really missing calls for them. I'm really sorry. Um, and I realise now that I can never, ever, ever complain about another speaker who comes in and goes, "Can we make this work?" Because I've just done that this morning, and it's, it's been a little bit unfair. Thank you, Dominic. Right. Um, so my name's Tim, if you don't know me, and um, I am here on 18. I'm also doing a degree in theology um, alongside that, so it's kind of this, this mix of sort of life doing studying and then being here, and yeah. That's kind of me, and that's what I've been doing for the past little while, and I'm in my final year at that. Um, and I love, I love the space, I love all of you guys, like, I love being able to just be here and be present. It's, thank you, Ben. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, this morning we're talking on John, John 1, 19, first through verses 19 through 28. Um, but first, this is, this is the reason for all the technical hardship this morning. And I'm going to do it for some audio, so you're going to need your ears on. And what I want to demonstrate to you is a, a reality to do something that I love as well, which has been part of my role here, and something that you've heard me doing, something that you've heard you're hearing people do right now, and it's audio mixing. So, but your isn't. So, I'm going to play an excerpt from Hawkinson with Michael Gerlitz of Wiley. Great, but 
all together celebrate our friends. So, what I want to quickly explain to you, and I'll see you to the visual, but you're going to have to see your ears, is that when you have a certain frequency that is louder than everything else, everything else gets ground up. Does that make sense? They've got a little mid, high. Actually, if one of those is too loud, everything else can ground up. And most instruments, so you've got your chubby electric guitar, you've got your keys, and you've got like a voice, hallelujah, is sitting right in this mid, it's sitting right in this middle place. And actually, if there's too much of that going on, then it doesn't give you a clear picture of the overall song. And that's what I want us to get, okay? So if there's too much middle of this sort of stuff in the middle that is like, ah, going on, all that punchy around that powerful high end, like all of that is sort of drowned out. Because it's just muffly. So let me show you the difference. So we have our muffle. And suddenly, if we bring that down, everything opens up. Okay? People got that? That concept. Okay. Cool. So I think that that concept links to John the Baptist. And I'm about to explain to you how I think that concept links to John the Baptist. That if something moves out of the way, it gives us a clearer picture of everything else that's going on. And we're going to be looking at John 1, uh, verses 19 through 28. And we're going to be looking at the questions that John is asked in this verse. How he answers them. And then how that sort of gets him out of the way to give us a clearer picture of what's going on. And then we're going to look like his answer to some of the questions as well, and particularly the question of who are you, and how that gets him out of the way and gives us a clearer picture of what's going on. And then we're going to look at actually the posture that we can adopt because of this. Okay? So, starting off, we've come out of this amazing poem in John 1 that we sang about, the word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. And we, we have this... We have this said to us that like there's there's this word and he's with God but he also is God and he's going to bring light and life to everything and all things and we've come out of that and it's amazing and we land here. We land in this discussion and this conversation between John the Baptist and the Pharisees and I believe that it has just as much to say about who Jesus is as the beautiful poem that we've just come out of. So, John 1, verses 19 through 28. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? 
John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, why then do you baptize if you're not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? He says, I baptize with water, John replied. But among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, whose straps of the sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all took place at Bethany, on the other side of the Jordan River, where John was baptizing. So Father, we pray that you give us is to hear what you're saying through this passage. Holy Spirit, give us eyes to see what you're saying and where you're guiding us through this. And Jesus, give us eyes to see who you are. And pray that in your name. Amen. Okay, so, quiz. Who is listening? How many questions does John get asked about basically are you this person questions anyone three come on amazing three um, so three questions are you Christ are you are you the Messiah to what those are the same question are you the Christ are you the Messiah kind of a one in the same question um, are you Elijah that second question and that third question of, are you the prophet? So we're going to start and we're going to work our way through these questions and see how John replies to this stuff. And what we see through these questions is an expectation and a sense of expectation. So what are they expecting when they ask John, are you the Messiah? Well, they're expecting... Okay, that's quite an easy question, actually. They're expecting a Messiah. But why are they expecting a Messiah? They're expecting a Messiah because that's, that's what they've read about, right? They're people, they're, they're Jewish leaders. They know, they know their Bibles. And from the time of King David, as, um, as has been played by Jacob on numerous occasions, but in the time of King David uh, and there was this expectation starting to build that someone was going to come who was a descendant of that king, who was, an answer, who was born in the line of the king, who was going to rescue the Jews, and who was going to set them, bring them freedom and set them free and bring them back to their own land and restore loads of things, bring good things, and basically overthrow the people who were oppressing them at the same time. So all this expectation. And actually, this expectation for the Messiah, for this person from the line of David, has hotted up. Like, in the, in the last 200 years, before we're reading this now, ho, 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 this is exciting. And the reason this is exciting is actually because of how grim things are for the people of Israel. And the Jews, are, the Jews are getting squished by empire after empire. And currently it's the Romans. And they really want this, like, Messiah, where are you? Like, are you going to? Are you, you going to come? 
And John's doing things a bit differently. John's, John's doing something quite extreme here. He's out in the wilderness. He's baptising people. So it makes sense. And now John's reply. John's reply is really interesting, I've, I find. Because when he gets presented with this question, I would go, I would go well, I'm not the Messiah. But like, here's my role. Like, I'm, I'm this, like, I'm the one who's going to come before. And like, the Messiah's coming and he's over there and like get excited guys he doesn't do that he doesn't explain why he's there he simply goes no that's not who I am and it's a little cryptic it's a little different I love in the ESV translation it actually says he confesses rather than denies because with all this expectation people, people were saying they were the Messiah and they were getting killed for it by the Romans because they, they decided I, like, I'm the Messiah, I'm the one who's going to change this they go with a sword at the Roman army and they get squiffed and actually here John could go no, 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 that's not me because I don't want to get squiffed but actually he goes no, that's just simply not who I am so it's almost a thing of there's a lot of things John could reply to this. And I think in saying just no, he actually turns down the volume on his identity and he gives us space for a clearer picture of seeing what's going on here. We move on to the second question and this is going to start to form a pattern. Are you Elijah? And this is a harder question to like asks to answer of why they're asking this it, it does, it's not as clear why they're asking this question at least when I first read this like what Elijah wasn't he like about 500 pages back in this book well in Malachi 4 verse 5 it says this behold I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes And the context to this expectation is that Elijah is this Old Testament prophet. And the key thing about Elijah is, apart from being like Israel, the people kind of saw him as like the really great prophet, like the, the best of them all. But apart from that, the other important thing is that he never died. In the scriptures it says he never died. He was lifted up to be with God. And therefore there's this expectation that he'll come again. Are you guys getting where that's coming from? Nice. Okay. And even the other gospels hint that John is this Elijah person. Even the other gospels go, mm, John, like John might fulfill this role a bit. But actually, the writer of the book of John chooses not to make that point. And actually, here, again, John, John the Baptist could explain everything. He could reveal everything, but he doesn't. He simply says no. And again, I see this as him turning the volume down on himself to give us a clearer picture of the other things that are going on. Okay? Do we understand those first two questions and the pattern that's going on there? Okay. 
third question is, are you the prophet? Now, for me, this is the weirdest one. I'm like, where is this coming from? Well, it's coming from a place in Deuteronomy, and Moses is speaking, and he goes, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. From your brothers, it is to him you shall listen. So a prophet like Moses. Can we see why, if, if as we've been saying, the people of Israel are getting crushed by Romans, why it might be quite an exciting prospect and an exciting thing to focus on that someone like Moses might come? That actually Moses and bringing the Egyptians out of their slavery is quite exciting for people who are currently also in a form of oppression. So we can see where this question's coming from. And John, here, like I feel like here, he could go, no, but this is coming and this is really exciting and he's going to get really excited and talk pretty quickly. And no, he doesn't. He says no. He just goes, no, that's not who I am. So we've started this passage thinking that John the Baptist is like this. And I'm going to play this again. And he's turned the volume down enough on himself that he's actually here. And he's laid this foundation where we can see a clearer picture of everything else that has been going on. But it's been by getting himself out of the way. Do we see that? You guys with me? Solid. Okay. So, now the big reveal. Drum roll. John replies to the very natural next question of who are you? He replies to this question and he refers to Isaiah 40. He says this. I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. And it's coming from Isaiah 40. So naturally we're going to go to Isaiah 40 and just have a quick read of that and the next couple verses. A voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, and every mountain shall be made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of God will be revealed, and all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So what point is John the Baptist making here? I think on face value, He's making a few, and I've bullet pointed them here. On face value, I think John is going, okay, it's, at, it's coming. Like, it's coming. And I've been preparing the way a bit. There's a little bit of that in this. But it's not actually about John's identity, is it? He's actually answered this question quite smartly. He's gone, how do I turn myself down even more? 
How do I make more room for Jesus here? And he's answered this question and he's gone, he's, he's gone for something where I'm just a voice. Like John the Baptist is just a voice in this. But actually, the rest of this passage is the Lord is coming, make straight the way for him. And then there's this whole thing, this almost poem about a re-leveling and a recentering and a restoration of things. That actually every mountain shall be made low and every valley shall be raised up. And the, almost the most exciting is then he goes, the glory of God will be revealed. And this is this truth that he's trying to get across. The glory of God will be revealed. And actually, is that big? Yeah. Like that's a massive claim, right? But it doesn't stop there. I think he goes deeper. And this is where it gets a little bit maybe, um, how do I put this? Out of Sim's brain, not necessarily common thought in, in the world, I've kind of pieced together a couple of things, and I want to present an idea to you. Because I think he's saying something bigger, whether he knows it or not. Because who wrote the book of Isaiah? Just as a question. Not a trick question. Who wrote the book of Isaiah? Isaiah! Okay, who wrote the book of second Isaiah? Don't go looking through your Bibles, Stuart. You'll be there for a little while. But who wrote the book of 2nd Isaiah? Because Isaiah, the, the interesting thing about the structure of the book is you have, over here, you have chapters 1 to 39, and it's Isaiah talking. And then you have this jump point. And in that jump point, a hundred years have just passed. And it doesn't really say it. And then, what I think is potentially the best explanation for this is then some of Isaiah's followers and his disciples and some of the people who held his teachings from over there then continue on the story. Okay? And the chapters that this jump point of a hundred years occurs around, this is chapter 39, and we're bumbling along in our daily reading and just reading, reading Isaiah just for the fun of it. And we get to 39 and oh, we skip to 40. And sometimes we don't realise, like the tone's changed a bit and it's a bit different. But oh, a hundred years have passed. And the tone has changed from Isaiah, the prophet, going, right, Israel, you're living against God. Like you, you are not doing the things of God. And actually you need to turn back to him and see him for who he is and follow the ways that he's instructed us to follow to be this nation that we want you to be. And over here it goes, it's a message of hope. There's hope on the horizon. So why has the tone changed? Well, in this hundred years, the people of Israel have gone from living in Israel to living in the kingdom of Assyria and the kingdom of Babylon. The, the exile has happened. They've been taken over. All this living, all this sort of going against the ways of God has built up and suddenly they've been overtaken, temple's been destroyed and here everything's as bad as it could be. And actually there's a lot of people who are going, how powerful actually is God? Like if this nation with other gods just came and just completely wiped us out and took us off to their land, how powerful is our God? 
I think it's interesting that John the Baptist chooses one of the first, the very first words to that nation from after the exile. When they're in this lowest, lowest point, he chooses the words of, there's a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight the highway. But actually, it's not just about the preparation and the glory of God being revealed and every valley raised up and every mountain made low. It's, it's not just about that. It's about this idea that actually through all of history, people have been living in exile. They've been living away from where they, should, they could be living. And actually, John is, maybe, whether he knows it or not, he's, he's making this massive play, claim that God is coming for those people. That God is coming for the people who are living in exile, who are living in a land that is not their own, who feel on the outside, who feel oppressed, who feel broken, who feel like everything is lost. God is coming for those people. And I think, I think John is saying that it's coming now in this passage. Do you guys see that? Does that make sense? That whole linkage. Okay. So that brings us on to the posture. What's the posture of John the Baptist in this? And what does it reveal about who Jesus is? Um, and can I invite the band back up as well? That would be fabulous. Um, so John carries on. He doesn't stop there with this massive claim about who Jesus is. And he carries on and he goes, um, there's one coming that you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. I think that's amazing. I think that's incredible. Because sometimes we see John the Baptist as like the vice president to Jesus' president. Does that make sense? He's like the second in command. And actually, have you ever heard of a vice president who has even considered the job of untying the shoes of the president? I know it's not our culture now as much, but actually think about that for a second. Imagine if the vice president was even willing to do that. And actually then imagine if the vice president went, I'm not even worthy to do that because Mr. President, you are so good. That's something of what's going on here. And it's not, it's not a low self-esteem thing. It's not like a, oh, I'm so unworthy. It's seeing the worthiness of the president. In this case, Jesus. He's seeing the utter, you are worth so much and you are so amazing. And what you're coming to do is so amazing. Actually, I probably shouldn't be taking off your sandals. And it, it, I think it links to another passage. And I think this is where we're going to come into land with this idea of posture. Psalm 84 says this. 
better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Do we maybe see how that posture matches? John the Baptist going, I'm not worthy to untie your sandals. And over here, the psalmist going, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than dwell in the tents of the wicked. I'd rather spend my time seeing glimpses as I let other people in of what's going on with God than do anything else or be anywhere else. Do we see that they kind of have the same posture? And actually I think this challenges us. Because would we rather be doorkeepers in the house of our God than dwell anywhere else? Would we rather see that door just crack open, get a taste of what's inside than actually spend any time anywhere else. So I think, I think as we respond to this, and I'm not, I'm not going to start listing off examples. I'm sorry I haven't really even given much practical application of this. Because I think it's different for all of us. And I think it looks different for all of us. But I think maybe for some of us, we, we might just need to spend some time turning ourselves down so actually there can be a clearer picture of who Jesus is in us. And whatever that looks like for you, it might be a moment of just saying, I'm sorry for what I've made myself out to be. And I'm sorry for who I've made myself out to be. And I turn back to you, Jesus, and I make you the focus point of my life. Or maybe actually we're not, we're not there. And, and maybe we're, we're in a place actually where we just, we feel like exiles and we feel like we're, we're in a place where we just need hope. And actually we need to absorb that truth of Isaiah 40 that there's hope on the horizon for people who are hurting, broken and oppressed and on the outside. So particularly if you feel like you're on the margins this morning or if you feel like you're, you're just, everything's as bad as it could be, Hear that and absorb that. There's a hope that for people who are oppressed and in the darkest of places, there is a hope that God is coming to restore and level and make plains out of great valleys. Or is it is it the third thing? Is it is it this lifetime journey of posture? Is it this lifetime journey that we see in John the Baptist and in Psalm 84? Is it the challenge of how willing are we to be a doorkeeper in the house of our God? Just a doorkeeper that spend any time anywhere else. How willing are we to go, God, you're so worthy. And I see because you are so worthy, actually, in some ways, how unworthy I am. But how you still accept me. 
And actually, I want to live my whole life in a position where I'd rather be a doorkeeper. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell anywhere else, spend any number of years in the tents of the wicked. And wherever you land in that, or wherever this sort of investigation into what John the Baptist is doing has stirred something in you, just take some time sit in that and I'm just going to pray now and then I'm going to give over to these guys and we're going to start to respond to some of this and maybe Jesus will become the centre of our lives once again and actually if we're willing to turn ourselves down and if we're willing to accept the hope and if we're willing to change our posture then actually Jesus can become the centre of all that we are and become the focal point of all of our lives so Father we pray we pray that we would get out of the way as John did we pray that where there are areas in our lives where we need to turn ourselves down so that people can see you or turn ourselves down so people can see you in other people We pray that we would be willing to do that. Give us the humility to do that. God, we pray for hope to break out in this place. We pray for the hope of a rescuer. We thank you that you have come. We thank you that you've given us that hope. And Lord, we we pray that actually you would help us on this lifetime journey of posture surrender to you and who you are and actually that we would see you and see your worthiness and see where we stand in that and that we would get so much more joy from being doorkeepers of your house than being anywhere else we pray that in your name Amen